Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Today we talk about a seven-goal thriller in an unexpected place. We also reveal the best team of 2023, find out about Union Berlin's and VfL Bochum's latest troubles, and we'll also discuss the political fallout from the crisis in the Middle East. For all of this and a lot more, it's Beer and Honey. Hello, dear listener. I'm Raphael Honigstein. I am Christoph Biermann. And we welcome you to our look back at match day eight. Uh, lots of goals once again in the goaliest league in European football. No one delivers as many goals um, as the Bundesliga does. But also lots of interesting storylines. Uh, remember that we do need your support. If you can, please become a member of the Beer and Honey Supporters Club. We really appreciate your help. Uh, you can also become an ultra and get a very special, very exclusive Beer and Honey mug as a token of our appreciation. Go to steadyhq.com slash en slash Beer and Honey for all the details. Christoph, we've come to expect the unexpected from the Bundesliga. But even by the very unpredictable standards of the German top division. You couldn't really have thought that the most exciting, most spectacular game would happen at Heidenheim um, against FC Augsburg of all teams. Augsburg, not a team that gets pulses racing necessarily, but they have a new manager, Jess Torp, and they were 2 0 down. But they came back and won 5-2 with three goals from Frederick Jensen. Discuss. Yeah, maybe it was, was one of the, the most spectacular debuts of a care, is he caretaker no, of, of a new manager. Because normally um, uh, wisdom tells us uh, that uh, changing coaches doesn't have this uh, big effect uh, in the long run. We will have to see what, what's uh, happening at Augsburg in the long run. But, um, yeah, um, uh, uh, Augsburg was, as you said, 2-0 down after 20 minutes. And um, and everybody, th I think, was uh, expecting them to trot uh, the same way uh, they were trotting in, in recent weeks. But then they came back in in spectacular way. And uh, they were actually fun to watch and um, scored a lot of goals. I mean, the de defensive performance of both teams was um, uh, um, would shock uh, uh, traditionalists who like uh, Italian <laughs> defensive qualities because there were a, a lot of mistakes. But um, I, I think... Um, Augsburg, um, who uh, uh, had their first away win after 385 long days, and uh, um, they could say something um, that we have in our uh, learning Fußball Deutsch, uh, because uh, in Augsburg <coughs> is der Knoten geplatzt. Learning Fußball Deutsch with beer and honey. Dave, um, the Knoten is the knot. 
they've uh, exploded cut cut the knot <laughs> or um slice through the knot yeah but if that doesn't really quite get uh the the whole meaning of it um they turn the corner I would say even though it's not quite as dramatic and sounds more like somebody walking around lost in the city center <laughs> Uh, our colleagues from Süddeutsche Zeitung were, were um, using another uh, metaphor, the, the one with the ketchup bottle, mm. where, you, where you hit the bottle and, and all of the sudden all of the ketchup comes out. And, and I think um, Augsburg had their, their ketchup moment this season. And um, yeah, but let's see um, uh, how uh, sustainable. Uh, this is, but but uh, actually a great start for um, for uh, Jess Torup, the Dane manager. Um, uh, some some of our listeners may have heard his name. He won the championship in Denmark with Midtjylland, um, the club that used to be owned by Brentford man, uh, uh, owner uh, Matthew Benham. He he was coaching in Belgium successfully in Ghent and Genk and. Um, Uh, so he comes with a lot of a uh, lot of uh, experience. On the other side, Heidenheim, the third time this season um, where they lost a two-one lead, um, uh, losing twice against Hoffenheim at home and uh, now against Augsburg at home, and also um, against Werder, where they finally uh, made it a four-two win. So. Uh, Frank Schmidt has some defensive issues because they conceded a lot of goals and um, and also this um, situation that a lead for his team is not necessarily helpful. Um, Heidenheim still in a, a very decent position, it should be said, after those eight games. Then right bang in mid-table, so still a better start than anticipated, but yeah. The kind of result and the kind of performance that uh, will make people very much worry about their their future. Because um, you said we're starting from the back. So the next game to talk about was the Rhein Derby. Uh, Köln against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach in recent years, the much better team, Champions League, European football, um, often in the top half, Köln with a few up and downs in the leagues, but they were very strong this time and they won 3-1. And Borussia Mönchengladbach just don't seem to get any sense of consistency into the into season. Would that be your reading? Yeah, um, Roland Wirkus, the sports director of Borussia Mönchengladbach, said afterwards, um, especially the first half, and here we come with another learning Fußball Deutsch, was unterirdisch. <laughs> Learning Fußball Deutsch with beer and honey. So below surface, I don't know what the equivalent yeah, in, beyond, in English beyond is. the pale, I would say beyond the pale. Uh, okay, um, so yeah, um, uh, Cologne almost overran um, Borussia Mönchengladbach in the in the in the first half. Um, then something happened that had happened before uh, this season uh, when Borussia Mönchengladbach were 3-0 down at Darmstadt because um, 
Jiao Sewan changed their tactical formation uh, from a, a five-man defense to four-man defense, both at the midfield, and then they looked much better, got the uh, equalizer, and the, my, my feeling was that this... Um, Uh, um, Borussia Mönchengladbach really had the chance to win it at that point, but then came two uh, individual mistakes, massive individual mistake. One was a misplaced tackle by Manu Kone, who uh, I think was the best player for Borussia Mönchengladbach at that time. And at first, uh, Dennis Eitekim gave him the yellow card, but then the VAR sent him out to uh, to check it again and gave him the red card, rightly so. And uh, when we t later on talk a bit about, or, or let's take, uh, let's say it right now, because um, there was the same situation the day before. Uh, when Bochum played at, at Freiburg, when um, Vincenzo Grifo landed on the foot of uh, Christian Gamboa, and I, I think it was almost the identical situation, and the um, referee didn't check it again, and um, so Grifo wasn't sent off. Um, uh, and that was wrong, and it was right to send Manu Kone on uh, off. And uh, the second individual mistake was uh, uh, one by uh, Moritz Nikolas, the Gladbach goalkeeper, who, when he came out of goal, didn't punch the ball, but punched uh, Luca Waldschmidt. And so um, uh, Cologne got a penalty. Uh, Florian Kainz converted in, a, in the <laughs> in the. The second one, because the first one was saved by Nicolas, but he had stepped off the line, and so yeah, a lot of a lot of drama in this um, in this game, uh, but altogether, um, also it was uh, for Cologne, it was uh, uh, the knot uh, that opened uh, because it was their first win in the season, it was their best performance so far. It was a good performance in the derby. So I think everybody is very happy uh, in Cologne today um, and not so happy in Mönchengladbach. Yeah, well, I, I can see uh, our producer, York um, and the kind of mood he's in after after witnessing that defeat. He does, he does not look happy, does not look happy, despite his very lovely background of a palm tree, which... Uh, suggest a holiday spirit but I think he is this is also maybe Fußball Deutsch reif for the Insel I think that's what he's trying to tell us um, Raphael I've got a, a, a quiz question for you um, uh, I was surprised to hear this uh, uh, this weekend in the in the big leagues in, in Europe which team has uh, amassed the most points in the uh, year 2023. Is it Manchester City? Is it Inter? Is it PSG? Who is it? Hmm. I'm going to this by the process of elimination. I think if it was a non-German team, you wouldn't be asking me this question if it was, I don't know, uh, Manchester City. Yeah. So I'm thinking... Uh, it has to be a German team. And um, just the other day, I was thinking, or I wrote about Borussia Dortmund and their pretty decent record, despite this sense of not playing well. 
So I think you might be alluding to our friends from Westphalia. Yes, and uh, uh, that's true because they have won 66 points in 27 games in uh, league games uh, in in, in 2023. And um, they added uh, uh, three against Werder Bremen on Friday with a 1-0 win. And... um, um, I don't know what 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 you thought, but um, I I think they fully deserve to win it because uh, they had a lot of goal chances and and Werder Bremen almost none. Uh, but it's so interesting to watch them right now because um, they 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 are um, not fascinating, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. Uh, but, yeah, but but they get their points together, and I don't want to start with my balance uh, theory uh, again. But um, yeah, Aiden Terzic seems to uh, seems to get things right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think he has a talent for moving players around or just adjusting a little bit. I think we talked about the fact that he's changed the team quite a lot. Marco Royce is all of a sudden a real prominent player anymore. The beginning of the season, beginning of last, uh, the end of last season looked as if his time was up because Dortmund had kind of changed their system. There was no longer that number 10 player. He played with two eights instead. But uh, Royce has been so good, so effective that the system has changed for him. And right now, Dortmund are back in that 4 2 3 1. And they're finding solutions against teams that defend deep. I think that's one of the Reasons why he's changed, uh, Dortmund can be very effective when they have Haller holding up the ball and then you play a little bit on the break, but against deep teams, that's that's going to be more difficult. So um, back to more possession, back to a slower game. But as you said, they created lots of, ta- lots of chances, 23 shots against this Werder team and well worth that 1-0 lead, that uh, 1-0 win. And yeah, Dortmund... Um, from a team that we talked about as uh, in crisis um, and maybe Terzic being a little bit in question um, after that uh, very poor start. Was it, uh, I think, five points from from three games? Relatively poor start. They are just two points off the top with that uh, win and they're still unbeaten in in this season, which is... Worth mentioning. Um, okay, Christoph, you you destroyed the back to front <laughs> script of the league by jumping all the way back to Friday. Mm, that leaves us with all the Saturday games. Uh, shall we start with uh, Bayern Mainz, a game that was almost as interesting for the stuff that went on off the pitch than on it. But just to summarize briefly. Uh, Bayern started well, took a 2-0 lead quite early on. Kane and Coman within uh, 16 minutes. Then Mainz came back with a Cassie goal. And then in the second half, um, Goretzka made it 3-1 for Bayern, who in the end didn't cover themselves in too much glory, but got the job done in a very professional manner, especially considering that they had once again um, lots of injury problems. And we're pretty down to the bare bones, as managers like to say, and especially as Thomas Tuchel likes to say, because he reminded everyone yet again how thin 
the Bayern squad was and how many um, problems he had putting a team together. Things are not getting easier because Leon Goretzka broke his uh, wrist or, um, or a bone near his wrist and had to have surgery and won't be available for the next uh, few weeks. And of course, there's no Dayo Upamecano at the back, which uh, limits possibilities. And there's no Nusse Masrawi at the back at the moment because he came back from this trip to Morocco uh, with an injury and might not be able to play in the Champions League either. But as I said, almost as interesting for the things that went on off the pitch. In midweek, Mainz suspended Anwar Ghazi, their Dutch a winger for a uh, pro-Palestine post. And uh, my guess is as much for the reaction or the lack of uh, contrition that he showed afterwards when they came to talk about this with him. And uh, Bayern had a similar story with uh, Masrawi, who also posted um, some stuff that could be seen as very pro-Palestine. And uh, Bayern reacted by having uh, a big talk. They also consulted people in the background in the end. Masrawi didn't really apologize, but said that he abhorred all terror and terrorist organizations and Bayern let it slide. And then we saw some reactions in the in the Mainz crowd who held up a banner supporting um, the Jewish state and Jewish people in, in general. Christoph, before we go into the specifics of this case are you a little bit surprised that the reactions we've seen so far from organized fans in Germany has been so pro-Israel because a lot of these clubs they a lot of these ultras you would put them in the left spectrum of politics And the left in Europe has often taken more of a pro-Palestinian stance, as we saw, for example, in Liverpool this, this week, where they had Palestinian flags, etc. Why is the situation different in Germany, you think? Yeah, I, but but the, the left spectrum is wide. And, and, and also in, in the left spectrum, um, uh, there is uh, anti-Semites um, uh, hiding between uh, colonial theories and, and, and stuff, thi uh, stuff like this. And, um, but a lot of, um, a lot of people with the, Uh, with a left-wing background or left-wing opinions are um, are also supporting um, Israel. So, um, especially in Germany, maybe maybe that's a difference uh, between Germany with the history Germany has. Um, <clears throat> and I wasn't surprised to see it. I mean, we had banners in in several stadiums in in Freiburg, for example. It's also Werdera Ultras. Um, uh, they remembered um, uh, Hersch Goldberg Pollen, who is a, a twenty a twenty three year old Hapoel Jerusalem fan, um, who was on the Supernova Festival in in the desert that was stormed by the Hamas, and he is taken hostage to. Uh, to Gaza, and um, and he is also 
um, a Werder Bremen fan, and they seem to be some uh, contacts between him and um, and some of the organized um, uh, Werder supporters. So that's a very special case where there are personal connections. But I th I, I wasn't surprised at all um, uh, that uh, a lot of ultra groups in Germany uh, took this uh, position. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, two players in, in question. Uh, Mainz very strongly, Mainz reacted very strongly by suspending uh, Agassi, um, and Bayern didn't. And there was quite a bit of criticism coming Bayern's way. The president of uh, Maccabi Germany, a club that we spoke about, or the umbrella organization of the clubs, uh, including Maccabi Berlin, who we spoke about when they played in the German FA Cup round, the beginning of the season, uh, he criticized Bayern for basically turning a blind eye to Masrai's position. Uh, what do you feel, Christoph? Did did both clubs handle it right? Did one club handle it better than the other? What is your what is your hunch about all of this? <clears throat> uh, you mentioned Alon Meyer, and um, I saw him in the act uh, Aktuelle Sportstudio on German TV because he he was a, a guest there in the in the studio, and he was said he was totally disappointed um, by Bayern. He found it absolutely uh, unacceptable, um, and and was saying that. Um, Yeah, there were no real apologies from Masarawi from from uh, from what he said, and 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 when you look at it, um, uh, the press release is so so it's uh, it's very political. So so that. The, the player doesn't have to apologize. The, the, the club is taking a position. And uh, actually, I didn't find it very convincing what, uh, how, how Bayern handled it. And, and maybe um, in, in private, I mean, we haven't been uh, at the discussion between the club and, and the player and, and what he said. And... Um, uh, <clears throat> But but to me it, um, uh, it it felt a bit dubious and and gave it gave me the impression of hmm, no we can't lose another player because we we we, we uh, already uh, uh, haven't enough of them um, and uh, Thomas Tuchel will kill us uh, if we take a, take away another player and and, and so on so. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, I mean, uh, coming back to Alan Meyer, he on the other side, in general, praised Bayern Munich um, uh, how they uh, about the relation to the Jewish community in Munich and in general in in Germany being very supportive and and so on and so on. Um, but yeah, it it was um, it, it didn't look. Um, uh, as if they were being consequent, really. Hmm. So cynics, cynics are suggesting that this was more <laughs> of a sporting decision rather than a. Yeah, it looked like yeah. one driven by social concerns. Well, as you said, we don't know what happened behind the scenes. We don't know how genuine Masrai was in explaining his position and that perhaps distinguishing between his support for 
for the Palestinians uh, and saying that doesn't translate into hostility towards Israel necessarily or to supporting terrorist group. We have to assume, I think, that he was he was genuine. Bayern seemed to seemed to feel so. Uh, we should also say that Bayern consulted with uh, experts and experts on on Islam to look at the verse from the Quran that he cited. They spoke to um, the board of deputies of Jews in Germany to get an opinion. So I think they made it a quite thorough process, even if yeah some sporting considerations might have also played a role. But I think the difference with, with Al-Ghazi was that from speaking to somebody who was close to the process was that the club never felt that they had a real understanding or that they could find any common ground uh, with the player. The player was of a certain view and minds, I think, tried to explain why, especially the phrase from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, something very problematic can be seen as as denying the right of existence to Israel, can be seen as a um, very incendiary uh, and perhaps even a criminal offense in, in Germany. Um, we, might, we might see people prosecuted for that. And my understanding is that the player did just not really understand what the problem is and they couldn't really find any kind of compromise with him so far. Mm. Yeah, but how do we move on from here to <laughs> to uh, Wolfsburg, Union, Hoffenheim and the rest of the The Bundesliga? show must go on, Christoph. The show must go on because um, what else have we got in these grim days than a bit of football to take our mind off of things. And I'm pleased to say that uh, football considerations came to the fore in, in most of these other games. I think Union Stuttgart is, is a great starting point for our continued discussion of Match Day 8. Why? Because Union were the not-informed team of the league going into this game after seven straight defeats in all competitions. Uh, Stuttgart very much the opposite. They are flying at the moment. They had I think won seven out of their last eight games. And the result, I mean, dare I say it, was actually expected. Perhaps slightly more convincing or emphatic than than people had expected. Certainly more emphatic than supporters of Union Berlin had hoped for because Stuttgart came to Alte Försterei and won 3-0. Christoph, were you there to witness? I was, yes. The lowest, and another low point or and the lowest point so far. Yeah, it actually was. Um, for the first time, I found it to an extent shocking, not because they lost. Um, that happened before <laughs> seven times. It happened before sometimes, yeah, also a bit unlucky and so, but this time, mm -mm, not unlucky, no nothing. And especially uh, what raised the most concerns was... Um, how badly um, Union defended. Uh, there were um, sometimes enormous holes in, in defense. And, and if we, whatever we, we, we could praise about Union in recent years, it was their defensive stability, it was their work rate in defense, it was their organization, it was a 
sometimes an almost perfect defensive machine. And now a lot of bolts are, are loose in, in this um, in this system. So, yeah, I was, uh, I was a bit shocked. I mean, that also has to do, um, I mean, if you, if you um, have lost seven times, you don't play with conviction. You could see that there was one team full of confidence playing at ease and, and another one um, without much confidence. And, um, and so these are really difficult times now for, for Union. Um, this week they play in the Champions League at home or, or <laughs> uh, not really at home at the Olympia sta uh, Stadium against Napoli. And then on the weekend they have to go to Werder Bremen And um, yeah, that's uh, part of the relegation fight. Um, it's uh, nothing else than that uh, right now. Uh, with, they have six points, but um, this terrible form. And uh, yeah, um, it's uh, our testing times at the Alte Försterei. You talked about loose bolts there in the Union Berlin machine. What about the person who is putting the whole thing together um, or is tasked with fixing it. Do you sense the first murmurs, rumors, ruminations, doubts creeping in that they might have to do what all clubs have done or many, many clubs have done in similar situations is to say, yes, we're sorry, Urs, we know you're brilliant, but we need something different. Things are not working anymore. No, no, it's it's not like this um, so far. But but there are doubts uh, because I mean um, everybody is waiting uh, for for the, uh, for the situation to change. Or and and as I said, um, uh, you could almost talk about a decrease of of form or decrease of of uh, the performance and. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, was Fischer was saying that um, the typical is also almost um, uh, learning Fußball Deutsch. Fußball ist ein Ergebnissport. Uh, football is a sport where the results count or so is, might be the translation. And, um, yeah, and there are no results. And uh, I think it will be a very important week for, for Union right now. Ah, uh, yeah, hugely important week. Um, if they can get a result against Napoli, that might change the momentum completely. But things are looking bleak in the league where, as Christoph mentioned, they're traveling to Werder Bremen. Um, talking about things looking bleak, um, Bochum, would that be too harsh an introduction uh, for their game? They went to Freiburg, lost 2-1. And they are once again back in the relegation zone after Köln's win, 17th. Uh, how high are your hopes still that Bochum uh, will survive this league? 
so as Freiburg is a kind of bogey team for for Bochum, I I and, I, I and all teams a bogey team for Bochum. No, no, no. There are, uh, for example, Borussia Dortmund isn't one. Right. right. <laughs> um, no, but but they, uh, I think they lost. Uh, they won the uh, the last time in in Freiburg like 27 years ago or something like that, and um, and uh, normally always lose there but this time I, I i briefly mentioned it it was also uh, came with a lot of controversy controversy oh, controversy came came with a lot of controversy um uh, about this not sending off of vincenzo grief we talked about it in the context of the cologne uh, game <laughs> and and then they uh, freiburg was uh, uh, got a was awarded with a Uh, one of these uh, terrible handball penalties um, um, that was converted by a drum roll Vincenzo Grifo who hadn't been sent off so um, I, I think the the performance of uh, um, Bochum was was uh, was pretty okay they have now played against most of the Uh, top teams and their uh, big match will be next Friday uh, when they are uh, playing against Mainz. Um, so the the only two teams in the Bundesliga that haven't won so far will meet then. And uh, maybe we have to talk about bleakness for Bochum after this one next uh, uh, next week. Um, A classic yeah. six point, I would say. A classic six-pointer, actually, yes. Um, but we have uh, more uh, top team. We haven't talked about Leverkusen uh, with their labored win, 2-1 at Wolfsburg. A bit lucky, but also uh, with a great performance of Jeremy Frimpong scoring one goal, uh, setting up an another. Um, are Leverkusen... A real top team because they um, that is a classical thinking if you win this kind of games you show that you are a top team I would say yes I would say yes absolutely it was not a pretty game but games against Wolfsburg and Niko Kovac are rarely pretty because they are very tough to beat and they made it very very hard for Leverkusen but Leverkusen found a way and Jeremy Frimpong as you said had a fantastic game Victor Boniface didn't score, but his assist for the first goal was superb. Him against uh, the entire Wolfsburg defense, and they couldn't couldn't stop him providing the perfect cross. So yeah, I'm still continue to be hugely impressed with this Leverkusen team, even when they don't manage to thrill us with a wonderful football. They find a way of winning. Are you also, or were you also impressed by RB Leipzig? Um, they were winning 3-1 at Darmstadt. Uh, Luis Openda scoring the fastest goal of the season after uh, 45 seconds. And uh, But I think it was a tough job for Leipzig to win there. It was a tough job, even though they took that early lead and then doubled it uh, after 24 minutes. Uh, Mainz played pretty well. They came back with a penalty. Kempe and then the game was very open in the second half. Lots of yellow cards 
uh, in that second half. One, two, let me just quick kind of one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, nine yellow cards in the second <laughs> half shows you how much of a fight that was for for Leipzig. But in the end, uh, Openda scored a second goal to secure all three points for, for Leipzig, who sort of in a fairly low-key way are um, coming into contention if if they weren't already um, for for the title uh, perhaps or at least for pushing our friends from Munich the record champions uh, quite hard this season they are three points off Bayern five points off the top in fifth place and the one side that we haven't mentioned yet just briefly uh, below them uh, Hoffenheim in sixth they lost against Frankfurt is that kind of is that kind of a derby as well I mean, geographically, they're fairly close, but yeah, but 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 emotionally, I, I yeah, I, I, but emotionally, I it's hard to have any real uh, derby concerns when it comes to Hoffenheim. It's actually an interesting question: which game is considered for Hoffenheim supporters as a derby? If it would be the one against Sandhausen, because they are really, really close, but Sandhausen has now dropped to the uh, uh, third league. But uh, um, yeah, yeah, maybe Christoph the derby is against SV 1910 Sinsheim, um, where they <laughs> where they play, of course. Um, where the stadium is situated, that would be the lo- the local rivals, I guess. Yeah, I, so so um, maybe if if uh, anybody is listening and can just inform us what 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 the local derby for for Hoffenheim is, maybe it's the uh, the one against Freiburg because they are both from Baden and uh, North Baden against South Baden, so that would be geographically, but but other clubs are closer, so. Um, we we, we 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 don't know it but um talking about frankfurt i i always have our friend uh, ronnie rang in my ear talking about boring boring eintracht who is very disappointed from what happened uh, at eintracht and uh, i've i've um, uh, recently talked to him and he is he is a even in a kind of boycott and not watching games right now because he is he feels so insulted by what's what's going on there. So always very emotional, our friend Ronnie, and um, and yes, he is. Um, I think he could have been happy because um, it was not only there the the first away win for Eintracht uh, in a year almost, but they really played. Uh, very good foos- uh, played very good football uh, although Kevin Trapp was missing in goal uh, uh, Mario Götze wasn't uh, uh, couldn't play uh, because um, he became father a second time and was with his wife and and uh, and also Sebastian Rode was um, uh, was missing but but it was a, a real good performance uh, they created a lot of goal chances and and won three one so um, after having only scored six goals before that so maybe it was also for Eintracht Frankfurt a open knot and uh, or catch-up battle or whatever effect uh, we will see uh, we will see indeed and we will also see the German clubs in action in the Champions League this week and Christoph and I will be back with a very special edition for our 
very dear and cherished Beer and Honey supporters on Thursday. Looking back at some pretty tasty games, I'm thinking of Dortmund traveling to Newcastle, Union hosting Napoli, Leipzig against Red Star Belgrade, and last but certainly not least, Bayern traveling to Galatasaray for, I'm sure, it would be a, a heated encounter. And loud. Istanbul. It will and be loud. Loud. <laughs> loud, hot, smoky, and yeah, action packed on the pitch, hopefully. And thank you very much for listening. It was a, a real pleasure to have you with, with us. I'm Raphael Honigstein. I'm Christoph Biermann, and we say bye bye. Bye bye. Beer and Honey, the German football podcast. <laughs>